Biting Off More Than You Can Chew by Mindbending Read by Mello Zuko Deer from AO3 Rating, Teen and Up Audiences Archive Warning, No Archive Warnings Apply Category, Gen Fandom, Avatar The Last Airbender Relationship, June and Zuko Characters, June, Zuko, Nyla, Original Characters Additional Tags Injury Recovery Mental Health Issues Humour, Angst, Alcohol Past Child Abuse June Adopt Zuko AU Now Featuring Arm Wrestling Some Light Poison And Taxes So, let me review this to make sure that I've understood, Yarn says with a smile that's about as pleasant as a rusty dagger. You obtain a twelve-year-old child. He really might be older than that, mutters June. He's recently escaped from firebenders, who deliberately burned off half his face. We sure it wasn't a stray fireball? So, you give him a long lecture on how the world's full of dangerous opponents who might commit violence against him at any time. That's nothing he didn't know already. And then, to initiate combat practice, you tossed a knife at him, sheathed, at his face. I said catch. Yaren stares at her like she's contemplating breaking her healer's oath to do no harm, just for June. Mercifully, she instead shakes her head and re-enters Kuzon's room. June peeks in behind her and finds he's still curled on the bed, wrapped up in a blanket, face buried in his knees. A perfect statue, except for how his back shakes as he struggles to steady his breathing. June's pretty sure she's banned from child-rearing for the night. She stands on the threshold for a moment, letting the wind lash her without buttoning her coat, and thinks, maybe, just maybe, she's bitten off more than she can chew. These past couple weeks, June's been dropping in on Kuzon every time she's returned from a hunt. His burns healing rapidly under Yarn's watchful eye, and his moods lightened. On prior days, she's given him perfectly gentle, reasonable paperwork. For example, Task 1. She gave him letters to draft, contacting assorted prisons and courthouses about criminals that might need catching. She only made fun of him a little for using old-fashioned fancy characters. What palace did you learn those at, your highness? She might have complained more about the torturously courteous syntax. Just write no when you mean no, I don't want anyone mistaking me for polite. He'd taken the critique without complaint and provided a perfectly edited set of letters the next day, in handwriting that's neater than hers. She might have been embarrassed at how much neater, if she hadn't made a vow to kick unnecessary shame entirely out of her head. Task 2. She gave him maps to compare, drawn by different people at different times, and he made a list of all the differences. Turns out the Fire Nation's on a damning spree, rapidly changing the courses of several rivers. It's also on a cartographic campaign to inflate the size of its colonies. Between that and the overreaction to that one poem on sizes, Ozai's definitely compensating for something. 
Cuzon flushes bright red when she utters this remark. Ugh, she's got a prude on her hands. Task 3 She gave him a dispensatory, describing assorted herbs and their usually dangerous effects, plus a list of symptoms. One of her competitors... No, the word competitor makes it sound like they're at the same level, though June is clearly leaps and bounds ahead has allegedly concocted a new poison that steals the victim's sight, hearing, and voice for a full day. She tasks him with listing all the substances that could possibly be combined to such an effect, to figure out whether it's a real thing, or just another industry rumour. By the time she checks in again, he's got weary shadows under his good eye, and, and enough notes to write a dispensatory of his own. He's proved himself remarkably bookish and disciplined for his age. His interest in the poison list would have alarmed her if she was in literally any other field. He's taken her orders without protest and produced results. But June figured he'd got bored of the scrolls. Spirits know she would. So she tried to spice things up. With a knife. And now he's huddled up like a blanket sushi roll. Seriously, the part of his face that hadn't scarred pink went white as rice. Evening, she says to the bartender, the second the tavern door slams behind her. Make it a double. June is not used to making apologies. She has to head out early the next morning, because it's an easy job and someone might beat her to it. She told Guzon as much. The whole ride there, she mutters to herself, practising. As soon as she deposits her target at the relevant jail, she starts up again. I sincerely apologise, she recites to Nyla, the one being who won't laugh, for throwing a knife at your recently scarred face. She feels sick just thinking about it. His scars from flame, not metal, but she didn't get a wink of sleep last night. She practices several more times after reaching town and then gets honest with herself. She cycled through at least ten kinds of phrasing, but she's not the one with the fancy characters and pretty niceties. She can't come up with anything that doesn't sound insincere or straight-up sarcastic. When she arrives at Yarns, she knocks on the kid's door. There's a shuffling, and then he opens it. Sorry about last time, they say in unison, like they'd rehearsed it. She laughs first, and waves it off while walking in. For what it's worth, I don't like knives flying at my face either. I'll make sure not to let that happen, he says, with a sincerity that catches her off guard. You feeling better? Got some sleep? He nods vigorously. June gestures at the dispensatory open on his bed, though she hadn't assigned him any additional reading last night. You gave yourself extra homework? Yeah, he says, shifting on his feet. My... Mom used to have this book, and I always wanted to read it. June's eyebrows shoot up, because that's a rather specialised dispensatory, and what would an actress need with a list book of toxins? A second later, she remembers the trend out of Barsing Say of injecting poisons into faces to attack the nerves and, supposedly, freeze out wrinkles? Oh, Barsing Say. Also, um, I... Made you a gift? He reaches onto the shelf that Yarns nailed back onto the wall and 
and pulls off a vial filled with red liquid. I was looking around the garden, and Jan had planted what she thought were bakui berries? Those are great, apparently they work as an antidote to some poisons. But I looked in the book, and bakui berries don't bloom in winter, so those had to be makaola berries. He hands the bottle to her. She takes it with a quizzical look. So, do I drink it? His good eye goes wide. No, no, it's just that makaola berries cause blindness, and I don't have anything to take away someone's voice or hearing for a day, so it's not as good as the other poison. But I read the blindness lasts for months, if you drink even a teaspoon of the juice or it gets in a wound, so I got some gloves and... He trails off and looks at her, pleading for something. You... June stares down at the little bottle, suppressing the edge to laugh. You really know the way to a girl's heart. He looks down, fidgeting. I just want to do this right. She cocks her head to the side. You know I've never done the apprentice thing before, so... I know, Kuzon interrupts in another breathless flood, and I'm grateful that you've made an exception for me, and I'm sorry I'm not working harder, it's just my brain won't focus sometimes and I don't know... Hey, she says, a little sharper than she means to. I was going to say that because I've never had an apprentice before, I've got no standards. There's no bar you have to meet. Provided you don't get me killed, you'll be the best apprentice I've ever had. He looks up at her owlishly, blinking back what might be a fresh round of tears. It occurs to June that she could have put more of a positive spin on that. Besides, she amends. You're doing fine so far. And now he serves her with a look of pure scepticism. It's just as good as hers. Yeah, sure. The thing with the knife wasn't ideal. But I hate paperwork and reading. She gestures at the scrolls and books that have gradually, naturally accumulated around Kuzon's room. And it seems like you don't. After a second, he shakes his head. I can't concentrate like normal anymore, but I don't mind. June shrugs. Let's look at the worst case scenario here. Pretend you're so psychologically stunted you can never handle combat again. He flinches. So, you'll be my researcher, and if you want you can bribe me with poisons on the side, I won't complain. Is that so terrible? Visibly confused, Kuzon tilts his head. Would that be okay? I thought you took me on because of my swords. Sure, but if you just end up as my personal secretary? I can live with that. Less paperwork means more time on the job, which means more money. It's not the worst arrangement. Still, she can see the doubt in his eyes. For tonight... I've got more paperwork for you, she says, dropping a giant file of disorganised slips and clippings in his hands. Accounting! His eyes light up. It's heartwarming, and more than a little hilarious. June accepts a job she shouldn't. There's a runaway earthbender wanted for murdering half a garrison of Fire Nation soldiers, and it's stupid going after powerful benders at least without backup. June hops off Nyla the second they get within sight, because Shershu's too big and easy of a target for flying boulders. 
she runs up alone, dodging rocks and pausing to hide behind a wall. She's armed with Shershu spit darts, but those won't take effect with just a glancing blow. So, she coats a knife in red berry juice instead, takes careful aim, delivers an earthbender to a Fire Nation camp, trussed up and paralysed but for her mouth, which screeches loudly about how it's not fair to attack someone who can't see. June decides to buy Kuzon a gift. This sparks a series of small crises. She hasn't done much in the way of proper gift-giving in her lifetime, outside of taverns where free drinks flow all around. She has no idea how to repay someone who gave her a bottle of surprisingly useful poison. Weapons are out of the question so soon after the knife incident, so should she just give him a bottle of different poison? Would Yarn strangle her if she tried? She considers just giving him cash, but that's a bad precedent. He might realise he can make poison for money, and then he might start selling to other bounty hunters, and that could snowball out of control in ways she can't predict. It's nice, having her very own secretary come poison maker. She'd like to keep their little arrangement exclusive. So what, she asks herself, does a growing adolescent need? Hey, June says that night, striding into Kuzon's room as soon as he opens the door. Your Maka Watsit juice worked great, so I got something for you too. She holds out two bottles. Personal care products. He takes them with a befuddled frown. Thank you? But I already bathe regularly, I don't think I need these. You wanna walk around town with everyone looking at your scar? He blinks at her. No, but it's unavoidable. That was the point, right? She lifts her eyebrows until he looks really looks at her, at the black hair brushed carefully over one eye. You don't have a lot of hair, she says. The only long part's the lonely ponytail, on the back of his otherwise fuzzy head. But this, she gestures at one bottle, is gel to keep it stuck over your eye. He frowns. People will laugh. They'll accuse you of being a copycat, she says. It'll be my hairstyle, but terrible. Kuzon scoffs. Up to you, she remarks, whether that beats the alternative. What's the other do? He asks, rather than answering her head on. She glances at the second bottle. Promotes hair growth. Your hair is already growing back in. This'll give you shoulder-length tresses by summer. He snorts at tresses, and then grows thoughtful again. When he speaks, his voice is small and serious. I was... um... I was thinking of cutting it all off. When June leans back in exaggerated surprise, he flinches a little but keeps going. I don't... He sets his jaw and makes a declaration. I just don't think I ought to have long hair. She gapes in genuine bewilderment. What, it's... Bad with your bone structure? What? No, I mean, maybe, but... He takes in another of his deep breaths to compose himself. They cut it off for a reason. 
sure, to treat the burn. Not just that, he says quietly. Because I lost my honour. You need me to hunt it down for you? If you've got a scrap left for Nyla to smell. It's not funny, he squawks, in a sudden flash of anger. June looks at all five feet of him, from his shoes to his balled-up fists to his quivering ponytail. Fine. Can I ask how you lost your honour? That question seems to shrink him at least a foot. I disrespected someone important. Would it make them feel better if you walked around bald for the rest of your life? I... what? She gestures at his head and the scar. This was all some sort of Fire Nation military mess, wasn't it? Kuzon confirms her suspicions with a lot of offended stammering. Well, there's no army in this town, she says, spelling out the obvious. So whoever you disrespected isn't around anymore. By now, they probably don't even remember you. Now his eyes well up. It is pretty sad, isn't it? The way the army tears through towns and leaves scars in its wake. Sometimes without caring to even ask the place's name. You don't know what you're talking about. Kuzon grits out. June drops the two bottles on the shelf and then wheels back around. Well, let me guess. Some random firebender, probably military, was mad. Then you came along. Maybe you did get in the army's way a little, maybe not. Who cares? Either way, they proceeded to blow things way out of proportion and got extra mad at you, personally, because there's no consequences for taking out your problems on a kid. And now they've waltzed off to burn down more of the world while you're stuck here with that scar. Do I have any of those facts wrong? He's got his mouth open, like he really wants to raise an objection. It never comes. Finally, he snaps his mouth shut and tries a sensible statement. Is it better for bounty hunting if I hide the scar? June considers her answer for a couple seconds. I think so. Fewer questions, less memorable. People won't be so tempted to aim for your face. She immediately regrets that last bit. Not that you have to be involved in violence, I'm just saying it's a hypothetical. I have to. You said it, not me. There's something in me that's violent, he blurts. And that sounds weird, and it's not cooperating right now, but I have to get it back or I think I'll explode. And that sounds like melodrama. Like the same kind of melodrama a teenage June indulged in regularly. Thank you for these. Now a little embarrassed over the outburst, he takes both bottles in his hand and inspects their ingredients list, like a budding poisoner should. I've still lost my honour, and nothing's going to change that. But I guess I can keep the hair. June takes her victories when she can get them. A couple days later, Kuzon declares that he's finished going through her expenses and identifying costs to cut. Jan set him up with a small desk and two chairs, and June sits by him, feeling a little like she's going to the dentist. So, um, first of all, there's a lot of tavern bills required 
for gathering info and keeping up good public relations. Next. Oh, well. He scratches out half a page of notes, visibly thrown off by her swift answer. You really could get a better price on all of the meat for Nyla if you made a deal in bulk higher up, with a farm. I think you're paying an unnecessary markup when you go to the butcher. He walks her through a series of surprisingly reasonable recommendations laid out with numbers and evidence and bullet points. A couple of his ideas won't work due to weird complications no child novice could have seen coming, but June intends to take a solid three quarters of his advice. She's comfortable enough already, but if his projections are remotely accurate, he's just paid for his own wages. So, those are all the cost-cutting ideas, he says, apparently now flustered by how easily she's agreed with him. But there was something else I was looking for, and I didn't see it, so I thought I should ask. Shoot. Where are your tax forms? June freezes like she just got licked by her shirshoe. Then, slowly, her jaw falls open. What? You reside in a colony, he stammers, and you do business here. So, I don't know if you should pay anything to the Earth Kingdom, but you owe 15% of your income in taxes to the Fire Nation every year. And I I looked through everything and maybe I missed it, but I didn't see the forms here. There are no tax forms, June interrupts with a scoff. You think I'd actually bother with all that? The kid hasn't battered an eye at kidnapping or poisoning or vague references to murder. But spirits forbid she miss her taxes. With one mention of tax evasion, he's judging her like she's kicked a baby pygmy puma. But, he hyperventilates, you're supposed to. Maybe you don't like it, but that's your duty to the Fire Nation. So now the kid with the disfiguring burn scar is lecturing her on her legal obligations to the Fire Nation? June briefly wonders if that cocktail she had earlier to work up her nerve might have been laced with some cactus juice. She crosses her arms. Not happening. But what if you get in trouble? If they want to try hunting me down over the debt, they are welcome to hire me for the job? That doesn't even make sense! You want me to fund their weapons when I could be buying my own? How does that make sense? Kuzon splutters in response, brains melted by utter despair. Anyway, she sniffs, if I pay taxes now, they might start asking about all my old taxes, so I can't go legit even if I wanted to. His despair shifts curiously to a thoughtful, guilty look, like he's sitting on a delicious secret. What? she demands. You can go in and pay back taxes. There's a little penalty, plus a lot of interest, but it's worth it to be honourable. Again with the honour. In a massive show of restraint, she doesn't mock him about it, instead prodding at the original sore spot. You know something else you're not telling me. He shoots her a dirty look. If you want me to pay up, Fine, he huffs. There's an awful loophole and we really shouldn't use it. That piques her curiosity. What does it say? So, technically, anyone who supplies the Fire Nation military at all 
gets to write off all their business expenses. June scowls. I don't supply things to the military. I know, he exclaims. That's why you shouldn't use it. What else does this loophole say? He slumps. You don't have to provide concrete goods. Services count too. Ah. June definitely does provide services to the Fire Nation military. Usually whilst holding her nose, but it happens. Anything else? she asks. He sighs and screws up his face. You'll also get late penalties waived. That's amazing. It's the worst, he protests. There are merchants who sell one thing to a soldier and claim it, and some people go around supplying the Fire Nation and enemy combatants, so the council really needs to close that loophole fast. But the council won't, she says smirking, because it's a bunch of useless old men. Yeah, pretty much. He's deflated, like a Xiaolong Bao that's been poked and lost all its soup. But then a new thought glints in his eyes. Also, my mom liked animals? We had a lot of baby turtle ducks, and she said there was a special program to give credits to people who raise rare animals like that. The credits get bigger if the animal's rarer or harder to handle. June's got a tame shershu waiting quietly for her, outside the building. Her eyes pop out. So, the Fire Nation will pay me if I file my taxes? There's no way. He closes his eyes and runs some mental calculations. Actually, if you let me fill out the form, I bet they will. She tosses back her head, laughing raucously. How the hell do you know this? You did your family's forms? My family didn't pay taxes, he retorts, furrowing his brow like the concept's inherently absurd. Wait, no, that's not what it sounds like. Too late. June's put two and two together. Kuzon's lost his home and his eye and his last name. He's fled from the Fire Nation army, and he'd looked at her funny the one time she joked about fleeing short-changed tax officials. Now throw in the fact that he's convinced his current situation is his fault somehow, and he's paranoid about the tax code and the consequences of breaking it. Is that why you've got that scar? He squints at her. I... sort of? They're definitely related things. I guess they come from the same reason. Say no more, she says, lifting one hand. I got the picture. He wisely shuts up. June can put two and two together, and she pities the poor bewildered kid. Clearly, he and his family went down in flames for felony tax evasion. June's proud of herself for a couple days there. She's a top-notch bounty hunter. She's taking care of a shershoe and an apprentice. And now, by some hilarious twist of fate, she's an upstanding tax-paying member of her community. Then Nyla bites off more of a steel gate than he can chew, and dislocates his jaw. June pops the bone back in place, evading the tongue that lashes out on hurt instinct. Still, Nyla keens and howls all the way back to town, wrenching June's heart with every noise. 
Kuzon enters the stable soon after she does. June glances up at him. At the hair he's draped over his bad iron, hardened with gel, like a protective shell. It's not a pretty look, but from the right angle? It could pass for cool. I heard Nerla crying, he says by way of explanation. Can I help? He approaches before she can answer, coming right up to Nyla's sore mouth. Nyla doesn't even threaten to lick him, just presses his snout against him with a whimper. He screwed up his jaw. I gotta soften up his dinner, June informs him with a sigh. Normally Nyla can tear right into a slab of raw meat, but in his state, he'll need it chopped up a bit. She reaches onto the saddle and unties a giant package of meat, freshly picked up from the farm she set up a bulk contract with. After unwrapping it, she pulls out her knife. Hey, Kuzon. Yeah? You wanna take a shot at this? She holds out the handle of the knife. No sudden movements or throwing. Nothing fancy, just make it more bite-sized. After a second, Kuzon takes it. For what it's worth, June offers, if you're mad at someone. I'm not mad at anyone, he says rapidly. Not even the jerk who burned you, she challenges, arching her eyebrows. Anyway, if you're mad at anyone, just imagine... that's their face. She points vaguely at the meat. It's great for stress relief. She steps out to grab a snack at the tavern. When she comes back, Kuzon's reduced the meat to soup. Like this? he asks. There's a ruddy flush down his neck and a slightly gleeful glow in his eyes. June grins at him. He nailed it. Yarn says I shouldn't push myself, Kuzon tells her a few nights later. But... I think I'm ready to train again, if you'd be okay with that, and if we could start lightly somehow. June smiles. It's not easy dealing with someone who can't handle violence, but she's thought about it and gotten the perfect solution. Yarn won't even yell at her for it. Probably. You ever arm wrestled anyone? What? June gets into position. Just... Hold my hand, and force my arm down to your left. I'll try pushing you in the other direction. First one to hit the table, loses. She takes his hand. The fever's long gone, but he's still comfortably warm. Because she's feeling nice, she lets him think he's winning for a solid ten seconds before she slams his hand down to her left. He narrows his eyes. How do you do that? She smiles toothily. Brute strength matters, but it's also a contest of wits. See, people think the game's just side to side. She tilts her arm back and forth in illustration. But the truth is the other axis matters too. You can make yourself stronger by keeping your fist closer to your body. So, being weak isn't an automatic death sentence, he murmurs to himself. Right. And surprise is your friend with games like this. So one way I like to play this is to let things settle into a balance. 
let your opponent think the conflict's just along the main line and they've got things under control. That's when you give a jerk. She suddenly yanks her fist inwards towards her shoulder. In an unexpected direction. He nods and sticks his hand up again. And again. And again. His sickness has turned his arm muscles to overcooked noodles, but there's a certain determination that shines through regardless. The kid doesn't give up. The fifth time, though, he even adds in a little twist of his wrist that catches June off guard and momentarily screws up the angles of her arm. Exactly, she says, even after she beats him anyway. You'd be surprised how many problems get solved if you just hit them from a different angle. That's a nice trick you made up. He beams at her, like it's the first time he's been praised in his life. Nyla's jaw heals. More or less. Still, June lets Kuzon keep pulverising the meat and feeding him. There's two advantages to it. Nothing seals a Shershu human bond like good food, and the kid gets a healthy outlet for all that anger. Kuzon heals, slowly. June's not expecting an overnight miracle, and some days he reports that he hasn't finished whatever task she gave him, because he couldn't sleep or his brain decided to take the day off without his permission. June doesn't yell at him, even though he's clearly expecting it. He's expecting it, even though he's the most organised, studious possible 12-year-old on the planet. June saves that tragedy to ponder another day. I'm not in the habit of mistreating co-workers, Shershu or not. She finally states it outright, and he looks like he half believes her. That's progress. Right there. You sure you want to do this? She says one day soon. He unsheaths his knife. They're not sparring, he's just aiming at a wooden target June set up in Yarn's garden. But it's the closest he's gotten to combat since the fever broke. He throws a glance at her, his expression thoroughly earnest despite the mask of hair. I can do this. He sounds like he's still trying to convince himself. But, as he throws the knife and strikes just one ring off from the centre, she believes him. That was Biting Off More Than You Can Chew by Mindbending. Thanks so much to them for the great dynamics in this fic, and for letting me record it. If you enjoyed listening, please tell me what you liked over in the comments on AO3, or come shout at me on Tumblr at MeloZukoDeer. You can find Mindbending on AO3 at Mindbending. Thanks again, till the next one.